0: Scary Mysteries, Twisted 2s, Hi-Fi Murders, and the Claremont Serial Killer. Tales of hauntings, murder, and scary mysteries. Every week, Twisted 2s dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. For this week, we focus on one of the most brutal robberies ever in the U.S. and a mysterious serial killer from Australia. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted 2s. Number 1. Hi-Fi Murders On April 22, 1974, the Hi-Fi shop in Ogden, Utah was getting ready to close up for the day. Employees, 20-year-old Stanley Walker and 18-year-old Michelle Ainsley, were inside the store at the time. Then, without warning, several men arrived at the shop aboard two vans. Three of the men entered sporting handguns while one person stayed inside the getaway car. The two employees were tied up, then taken down to the basement as the gang started robbing the store. As the robbery progressed, a 16-year-old boy named Byron Nesbitt walked inside the shop to say thank you to Stanley for letting him park in the store parking lot while running an errand. He too was then bound and taken hostage. As it became late, Stanley Walker's father, Oren, went to the store to check on his son. He was also then taken hostage. Then Nasbit's mother Carol arrived at the shop to look for her son and she ended up becoming a hostage too. By this time the men had now held five people in total down in the basement. During later investigations, it was discovered the men who raided the shop were United States Air Force men stationed at a nearby base. It's believed there were six of them, but only three were identified. Dale Pierre was the enforcer, William Andrews, the mastermind and instigator, and Keith Roberts, the getaway driver. In the basement, Andrews ordered Pierre to grab a bottle wrapped in a brown paper bag from the car. Once he got back, the two forced the hostages to drink the blue liquid inside. Almost immediately, it burned their throats and caused blisters on their lips. The men told the victims it was vodka laced with sleeping pills, when in fact, it was liquid Drano, a drain cleaning product. As the victims coughed and gagged, the robbers tried to plug their mouths to prevent the liquid from spilling out, but the adhesive wouldn't stick because the Drano was oozing out. Oren Walker was also forced to drink it. He let the liquor pour out of his mouth and faked his convulsions and screaming. At some point, Pierre got so upset the hostages were taking too long to die. As the victims screamed in pain and agony, he decided to shoot both Carol and Byron in the back of their heads. He killed Carol instantly, but left her son, Byron, alive. Pierre then turned to shoot Oren, but missed. He then shot his son, Stanley, dead before shooting Oren Walker again. Pierre took Michelle Ainsley to a corner of the basement, told Andrews to leave for 30 minutes, as Pierre repeatedly and brutally raped the 18-year-old girl. Afterward, he allowed her to use the bathroom as he watched before dragging her back with the other hostages, naked and threw her face down on the floor before shooting her in the back of her head. Both Andrew and Pierre saw Oren was still alive, so Pierre mounted him and tried to strangle him to death using a wire. When this didn't kill him, the two inserted a ballpoint pen into Walker's ear and stomped on it until it broke through his eardrum and pushed through the side of his throat. Then the two left for upstairs, loaded the rest of the equipment into the van, and took off. It took almost three hours for the bodies to be discovered. Oren's wife and other son arrived at the store looking for their family members. The son heard noises from the basement and broke the back door to enter while his mother called Ogden police. When the authorities got there, both Stanley and Michelle were declared dead while Carol was taken to the hospital, yet died en route. Byron Nesbitt survived his ordeal but suffered severe brain damage. He spent more than 250 days at the hospital before he could be released. Oren Walker also survived, but with severe burns to his mouth and chin. His hearing was permanently damaged because of the pen. Hours after news of the robbery and brutal murders were reported, a tipster from the Air Force called the police and told them Andrews once told him months before he was going to rob that hi-fi shop and kill anyone who would get in his way. After this, two teens who were dumpster diving close to Hill Air Force Base found the victim's wallets and purses, and they told police. The detectives who arrived at the scene made sure to put on a show for the gathered airmen, hoping to catch a glimpse of who was acting suspiciously amongst the crowd, and this paid off as both Pierre and Andrews were visibly shaken as police gathered more evidence. When the two men were arrested as suspects, a search in the barracks led police to a public storage unit that the men had rented. There they discovered the stolen equipment matched via serial numbers to the hi-fi store. There was also a half-empty bottle of Drano. During their trial, Orrin Walker became the star witness. Byron Nesbitt suffered amnesia due to his injuries and was unable to testify. Both Dale Pierre and William Andrews were found guilty of three counts of first degree murder and sentenced to death. The third man, Keith Roberts, was also charged with aggravated robbery and sentenced to five years to life. The other three men have never been identified. Both Pierre and Andrews exhausted their appeals and many people accused the trial and jury of racism since the perpetrators were all black and the victims and jury all white. But in the end, both Pierre and Andrews were handed their sentences regardless. Pierre was executed in August of 1987, while Andrews was executed in July of '92. Robert served 13 years in prison before he was paroled in 1987. The high five murders have gone down in history as one of the most brutal robberies and murders the United States has ever seen. Today the case remains controversial and widely used during training for upcoming FBI detectives. Number 2. The Claremont Serial Killer 28 years ago, a woman's silk kimono was stolen off a washing line in Claremont, a high-end suburb in Perth, Australia. Then, this same kimono led police to the arrest of one of the most terrifying serial killers in the area two decades later. It was in 1996 when 18-year-old Sarah Spears called a taxi from a phone booth at 2 a.m. after leaving Club Bayview. Witnesses spotted her standing on the side of Sterling Road as she waited for the cab. One witness mentioned seeing a car stop in front of her. When the taxi arrived at 2.09 a.m., Sarah was gone, and she has never been seen since. On June 9, 1996, 23-year-old Jane Rimmer disappeared around the same part of Claremont She was also on a night out with friends but opted to stay after her friends had headed home. She was last seen at the Continental Hotel and captured on footage outside at 12.04 a.m. 55 days after her disappearance, her body was discovered dumped 40 kilometers south in a bushland at Woolcott Road in Weyland. Nine months after Rimmer's disappearance, another victim was taken. Ciara Glennon, who was 27, was last seen at the Continental with her friends on March 14, 1997. She had decided to head home close to midnight and was seen walking south through Sterling Highway. Witnesses saw her talking to someone in a light-colored vehicle, but no one knows what happened to her afterward. It was 19 days later on April 3rd when her body was found by a worker. It had been dumped in a scrub near Eglinton. Despite interviewing over 100 suspects in the cases, police were stumped on who could have done such brutal crimes. The case eventually went cold for nearly two decades before police finally got a break. It started with a break-in and attempted rape in 1988 at a home in Huntingdale. An 18-year-old girl was sleeping in her bedroom when a prowler had entered the house using an unlocked back door. He closed the parents' doors, took the phone line off the hook, and entered the girl's bedroom. He straddled the girl's back, forced a cloth in her mouth, and then began attacking her. The young teen fought back, causing the prowler to retreat, and in his haste, he left behind two items, black knotted stockings and a white kimono, which was believed to be stolen from a washing line years before, but that wasn't found out till years later. Decades later, during a cold case review by police, they took the kimono and ran the collected DNA through their system. To their surprise, it matched DNA taken from two cases. The first was a rape case in Claremont where a 17-year-old girl was abducted on her way home from a night out in 1995. She was gagged, bound with a cord, and a hood was placed over her head. She was taken to a nearby cemetery, then raped twice before her abductor placed her in the bushes and left her. The second DNA match was from the abduction and death of the Claremont serial killer victim, Ciara Glennon. Although it didn't give them the name of the killer, it allowed police to take a fresh look at the cases knowing the perpetrator is the same person. Just months after this revelation, police were able to narrow down and arrest a suspect in 2016, Bradley Edwards. The 52-year-old was charged with the abduction and murder of the three Claremont women, along with the rape and assault of two other victims. Edwards worked with telecommunications company Telstra for years up until his arrest. A warrant to search his home revealed huge amounts of pornography on his electronic devices. He also had a catalog of porn sites totaling over 4,000, along with violent erotica stories he edited, downloaded, and wrote. There were also boxes of homemade sex toys, Countless women's underwear with strategically cut holes for male genitalia, all of which contained Edwards' DNA. Authorities admit that prior to the DNA retesting, Bradley Edwards wasn't even on police radar as a suspect. Many believe when Edwards was younger, it's possible he was the one known as the Huntingdale Prowler. Between January to October of 1988, the Prowler targeted nine houses within one kilometer of Edwards' family home. The prowler would creep around the homes, try to break into them and steal women's clothing and underwear, including the white satin kimono which was later used to find him. From prowling, Edwards escalated to attacking his first victim in the Huntingdale attempted rape case, although there are some who suspect he may have had prior victims before this. His main M.O. was to target women he didn't know or barely knew. He would attack and pounce on them from behind, According to later testimonies, it's believed he would cruise the streets of Claremont to look for possible victims, often picking women who were coming home late and offering them a ride using his Telstra van. The prosecution also alleges the attacks have a pattern, often coinciding with emotional turmoil Edwards experienced in his personal life. Edwards pleaded not guilty to the abduction and murder of the Claremont victims, but has admitted guilt on five other charges, including sexual assault and deprivation of liberty and unlawful detention. The trial is expected to last at least nine months before Justice Stephen Hall will decide if Edward's guilt or not. So there were two of the most violent and frightening stories around. The world can be a crazy place, and Twisted Twos is always sure to show you why. We have new videos coming out every Wednesday and Saturday, so if you enjoyed this one, then please subscribe to our channel. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you soon.